Hey Zen friends, welcome to Crazy Zen Life. I'm your host, Brittany Swan. And I'm your host, Shannon Kessler. Join us as we navigate life on and off our yoga mats. This is a podcast about mom life, boss life, and body life. Real conversations about self-discovery and the journey of becoming more mindful in this crazy Zen life. Do you know what I'm loving on the internet right now? Shopping? Well, obviously. But the highlight of my day is to visit Chunk the Groundhog on Instagram. This groundhog is groundbreaking because he is chowing down on carrots and apples and tomatoes. And he's just like the funniest little chunky groundhog that he gets lost in his own thoughts. He gets <laughs> distracted by a helicopter and he's like, boom, and just goes silent and then comes back and. Uh, yeah, and the volume is on on these videos. <laughs> it's not silent. You know what I love about Chunk, though? Everything. He has such a personality. He does. He doesn't say a word, and yet you can see it. Yeah. You can see when he's kind of like in a good mood, or he's mm-hmm. like, oh, kind of, I'm kind of tired. Valentine's Day, he had a girlfriend. I'm yeah. like, Chunk, look at you. Let's give hunk. people the backstory on Chunk, because he does have, he, he, you know, he has he a backstory. He does have a backstory, and we will post this on, I think we did I did yesterday. on Facebook, but. <laughs> he brought me so much joy yesterday. He's so great. Like when, when you're getting down, you need a little positivity in your life. You I just know. hit up Chunk and guaranteed make you smile. Oh my gosh. Right. I was deep diving on some coronavirus and I was like, you know what? I need Chunk. <laughs> Give me I Chunk. felt so like down about my life know, and like where the that. world is going. I was like, okay, yeah. I, need a, I need a crazy groundhog. So I stumbled across the crazy groundhog on Facebook, on the Facebooks and I was scrolling and I kept seeing it and I was like, all right, finally it's, it's click. I'm going to do it. And it just, it, it's this farmer talking about how he kept seeing his garden and it was getting wrecked. And he's like, who, what is eating this? Cause it would just take like one chunk out of something and then toss it aside. And he's like, who's not eating all of it? It's like, I'm giving you this bounty, eat the whole thing. But this animal wasn't. So he set up this video camera to try to like catch the perpetrator. And lo and behold, it's this groundhog that comes out of nowhere. But then the groundhog finds the camera and he is like front and center he only Every goes time. to the camera. Only goes to the camera. To eat. To eat. And he looks at it like straight on, like dead on. And the, the gardener has moved it different places and chunks. He will find the camera to look at it. And eat in front of it. Eat in front of it. And then toss things aside. So now the, the farmer is like, all right, this is my buddy. Like he's he's doing it. But this I say this all the time. I'm like, he's a really chunky groundhog. He is. But how are but you But you've seen that? him progress. He progressively watches, you know, his journey of weight gain. And you're like, Chunk, you're eating tomatoes. Like what's happening? over there buddy what are you doing I don't know. but i mean it's he's hysterical i love him so much he brings me so much joy and i'm so glad i've never seen i've never too. watched have you ever watched a minute video of a groundhog eating a carrot <laughs> i have and i'm not proud of it but i'm telling you when you get down about the apocalypse coming All right if you get down yeah. about it raining 72 days in a row chunk brings it chunk will bring you back chunk brings yeah. me back i know and there's times now there's a possum oh yes they have the night vision on him like there's yeah. like a hidden camera underneath like a shed or something he's so cute though like i'm not mad at the possum like I'm and now I, I have a different scope now when i'm looking at you know possums crossing the road i'm like i don't want to hit him i really don't because he could be my friend's possum friend i don't know really but could. i'm connected oh man i love these animals <laughs> me too we do have a really good friend in our studio. Again. We do. Everybody our favorite, really yes, our favorite Yay. therapist friend, Miss Megan Bartley, is back in Yay. the studio. Yay. Yay! And today we're going to be talking about grief. So there's, <laughs> sorry, womp womp. <laughs> so we're going to need <laughs> a dose of chunk after this conversation <laughs> and a cocktail. You know, we, we probably should have had a cocktail with this. One. I'm not shaming that. I mean, no, we no, have done it before. Right? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> we're like, like bl- Bloody right, Mary. Right? You know, I'm like it's it's heavy. <laughs> we. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we're back. Sorry about that. Small technical difficulty, but hey, here we're back. <laughs> Usually <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. So we want to tackle this topic for a long time. Yes. It's been, it it's really been has, in our notes for yeah. a minute. Um, but to share a little backstory, we had a, a, a minor, actually a major tragedy in Louisville recently. And that kind of relit the fire behind grief yes. a little bit. We lost some prominent members of our friend community that impacted a lot of people. And it wasn't just, um, uh, it, it was sad because I mean, obviously a loss is a loss and that's very sad, but it's yes. two mothers and two daughters and they were very well connected within the community. And that, I mean, we saw this like wave of, I mean, it felt like a tsunami mm-hmm. of grief that struck 
you know, our friend circle and it was, you know, it's devastating and it's hard. And I mean, we all have grief and it's always something that is very just tricky to navigate because it's very murky water. You don't know what you're working through mm-hmm. and it's, it's definitely not about overcoming grief, right. but it's learning personal. to live They're with it. it. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. Megan is going to share her expertise with yeah. with grief yeah. with us today. Maybe help us a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I just to kind of give you a little backstory uh, before I had kids. So this was like before 10 years ago, maybe 14, 13 years ago. I spent a couple years really studying like death and dying. Oh, I was I was super interested in just the different phenomena of death and dying and how people deal with that and different Eastern to Western sort of thought processes of um, all of this. And so I've I've been interested in grief because if you think about this, I mean, if we think about it from the death perspective, I mean, I have some news for you guys, but we're all going to die, right? <laughs> yeah. like, yes. We're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. Like our partners are going to die. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to die. Like, mm-hmm. so when you come at it from that, and we already know that death is a part of life, um, sometimes we forget that, right? right? And so it comes to us as a shock because everything's going so well and everything's just rocking and rolling and all this stuff. And I think that's where for me in like this mindfulness stuff is being mindful of the full spectrum of life and we get caught up in the autopilot of just doing what we do every day getting the kids to school and you know getting them to practice and doing the things and and there's no shame in that because that's what life's about exactly yeah Mm -hmm. and I think there's also this other layer too of like the reality of you know yeah you know things could go south at any moment or things could change at any moment whether you get into a car accident that you know you can't walk you know after that or you you know I know people who've progressively lost their sight or their hearing and like grieving those losses Um, so I think grief doesn't have to always happen when there's a death but I think we mostly think of it in that sense Um, or as we start to age we start to grieve our youth Mm -hmm. or you You know grieve friendships Grieve friendships. If you move, you're going to grieve, you know, the loss of the things that were familiar to you in this previous city. Um, You know, if your kids move schools, they're going to grieve. That's a, you know, I mean, I think grief happens in a lot of different ways and to a lot of different scales, right? Like, and I don't think there needs to be any sort of competition or, you know, how bad is your grief? You know, mine's so much worse or whatever because... Oh my gosh, we do that, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Like, why am I sad? Because she, so-and-so is going through so much more. That sadness doesn't win. Right. Trying to, like, well, so yes. you can't downplay your sadness. Right. And mm-hmm. I think what, what we need to listen to more is just what are we feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And usually grief brings sadness with it and we don't tend to like to feel sad right um and we're not always used to feeling sad because for most of us if we're you know late 30s early 40s into our 50 or i mean once we get a little older but that 30s 40s area you may not have experienced a major loss i mean you you likely are starting to right like if you know, for people who have experienced miscarriage, you know, like when they're trying to start their family, those are absolutely, a, there's a sense of loss there. And some people are going to take it and it's going to be a really difficult thing. And some for some people, they're going to experience it differently. So it's not like there's a right way or a wrong way mm-hmm. to experience grief. Um, and like the length of time too, like the intensity and the length of time, you can't a sign like oh you know death of a you know parent is equals this much grief you know like because everybody's gonna make sense of it differently Mm. can you talk a little bit about what grief is and what grief isn't yeah so uh, grief i think is just that that um experience of mourning and you know that feeling of loss and that something is no longer here right and so it's going to come with it some sadness and some um, maybe even anxiety and different things, you know, grief. And this is where, you know, people say, Oh, I'm so depressed. And depression is a really serious thing, uh, you know, and I, I guess you could say mental illness, of course, but I also think like depression is a state where you really cannot function 
right? You're having a really hard time functioning. You're having a hard time getting out of bed. You're having a hard time going to work, functioning, like everyday kind of functioning Mm -hmm. stuff. Now, with grief, I think you can, you can, grief can turn into depression, right? Like if it's, if you're grieving for a really long time and you're really, there's an attachment to, you know, because we do, we have attachments to people we've lost or expectations or relationships that have been, you know, lost. Um, so I think when we hold on to that attachment, um, sometimes in unhealthy ways, that can lead to the depression, right? Mm. If we can move forward with the grief, knowing that I can, that what I'm feeling in my heart, there, there's a saying, oh gosh, I don't know who said this, but grief is love with no place to go oh i've heard that oh yeah just recently yes i I read that somewhere so you know like if you're if you're if you're you know and i i think about this as if you are um uh your spouse passes away and you still have the kids that you got to take care of right like of course you're going to mourn and you're going to be sad about the loss of your spouse and not or or but and you also know that you got to get up every day and be there for your kids, right? Yeah. So loving those kids, even though you're feeling all the feelings, right? It's okay to feel all the feelings. And part of this, you know, I, my whole thing, I, I like to talk about getting comfortable with discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do you make friends with discomfort? Because we're always going to feel uncomfortable things. You know, we're always going to feel pain, if you will, or, you know, emotional pain, physical pain, whatever the thing is, but that discomfort of, you know, loss that, how do you make friends with it? And what is it there to kind of tell you? What do you need to know with it? You know, it's like, Hey, how's it going? You're here, you're back. What's going on today? Right. You know, it doesn't mean that you're not strong or not capable or that you're mentally unstable. Like if you're going through a grief. No. Yes. Absolutely. So I think if anything, our bodies talk to us in different ways, right? So when you are feeling sad or you're feeling sluggish or you're feeling these things, it could be our body's way of just saying, hey, you don't have to operate at 120 miles per hour. Right. Right. Like it's okay to just function and not have to over function. Right. And I think so many of us are in this over functioning mode of like, got to do all the things, got to go to all the places, got to do all of this and, you know, be the best or perfect. Right. Like that perfection of peace parent or mom or dad or whatever. And so if I think the reality is there's always going to be grief. And how do we allow ourselves the opportunity to just slow down and maybe be with it for a minute and then let it go, you know, like clouds in the sky floating by, leaves in the stream, and then refocus our attention where we want it to be. So refocusing it to, well, I got to focus on this work right now, so I'm going to do that. And because grief pops up, pops in and out, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not like you're, or it can be kind of just a low level you know something heavy's there and you're not your light, fun, funky self. Um, and so it's just finding that new normal, right. you know, when something does happen and you're feeling low. So I have a question. When you say like grief is love that doesn't have a place to go, is it possible that your grief, like your you get into something new afterwards and your grief is that love pulling in to try to attach to something else? Yeah. Like taking on a new task or yeah, like a, a hobby or yeah. taking on a new relationship. Yes. Right. Well, I think, yes, I think, um, you know, we, when we have, let's just say for ease, we have that person, whether you get a divorce or the person dies or whatever, you have that person and you miss being around that person. Right. And so you, because you, you like, there's certain positive aspects to it. Right to the person and so when that person's no longer there and you are now missing the person in the positive aspects when we refocus our attention and funnel it into an activity or a new person not unhealthily right like Mm -hmm. we're gonna kind of take our time and figure out what we're needing but it's okay to find joy you will find joy at some point right like it might not be immediate or you'll have little bursts of joy, you know, where you can laugh and Mm -hmm. it's okay to laugh in the midst of grief. Um, 
but yeah, sort of refocusing the attention somewhere that, and the love I think is just loving what you're doing or loving who you're with or loving the activity. So I don't know if it has to be, you know, the love for that person now be, goes over to this place, you right. know, cause you're still going to have the love for that person. Sure. Right. And I don't, I think love is infinite, so it can be, yeah, you know, recycled over and over and over again. Exactly. <laughs> is, yeah. There's no, like you said just a few minutes ago, there's no wrong way to grieve, Mm-mm. but is there ways that are not so productive or maybe you think that like there a healthier might way to be something for- else going on if yeah. they're like maybe signs or, um, thoughts you might have or just maybe that direction yeah one author that i like you can put some of his books up is david kessler last name kessler yeah david we actually have a david kessler i think i might be able to remember that brother dave yeah Yeah, he Mm -hmm. um he worked with um uh, elizabeth kubler ross for um a while and has his own grief story which is very fascinating and um i went to his training a, a year or two ago here in Louisville and it was fascinating too because um, he was talking about this idea of when you when you're able to have that intense emotional reaction early on right like that good cry or that really you know that that sort of helps yeah right instead of trying to hold it all in hold it all in hold it together you know if you're trying to be the emotional caretaker for the people around you where you're trying to you know hold it together and you don't want everyone to see you sad and your friends can't handle it or your family can't handle it or you think your kids can't handle it you know um i think that can do more harm than good in a lot of ways um versus just being true to yourself and what you're feeling you're kind of like stuffing it down and at some point you know it's going to come up in some funky way Right, like and a so, backed up sect system. Yes. <laughs> and yes. there it is. <laughs> sure did. Yep. Sure did. Um, so, yes, I do think, you know, there can be, even if there's long, you know, like if you are, you have a friend who's been ill for a long time or a family member who's been ill for a long time and it's sort of, there can be that grieving that happens and then, you know, that when the person does pass, there's a, you know, real sense of sadness. I think th- that can be definitely wonderful that you're, able to emote right and get that out versus holding it in now with that said you're definitely going to have some people who don't need to do that right they come from a very logical and rational place right Mm -hmm. um and they might just say oh well yep they're dead you know this is part of life and whatever and that's not wrong either right so i think this is why we can't say, you know, what's the best way or healthy way or whatever. They, there is a thought that the grieving, there's like a two year sort of process after the death of whatever, a relationship, a partner, all those things. The first year can be sort of the adjustment year, you know, so people will say like, oh, you, you know, you need to get into therapy. You seem sad. You seem this, whatever. Sometimes that first year is not a super great year for that. I mean, if, if someone needs that and wants it, I think that's great, but it's kind of the, the year after, right? That you kind of adjust the first year of like, what's this like to be not in this relationship or not, you know, with this person, it can be so shocking, you know, and I think definitely the death of someone more so sometimes than the relationship because a lot of people come in when they are getting divorced for therapy and Mm -hmm. you know they want to adjust well to all this um and go on living their life i mean that's the thing is like you want to go on living while you're still here and um you know how do you manage the grief going forward so Mm -hmm. i know for me i lost my dad um about a year and a half ago um and he was diagnosed with cancer in like January and it was pretty progressive, but there was some denial on his part about, you know, how it was going to progress. And I, you know, everything I was reading and seeing was like, Oh, this is, this is not good. This is not good. This is going to be sometime in the next few months that, you know, this is likely his life is going to end. 
And so, um, you know, going through that process and he's in San Diego and I'm here in Louisville and, you know, flying back and forth to spend time with him and do what I need to do to feel complete with my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, is it's a tough, it's a tough process. And, you know, it was sad and I could, you know, cry at times, but it, you know, also when it was the, you know, you get the news like, no, he's passed. It's, it can be shocking, you know, and how you take care of yourself, um, in that time too. Cause you can grieve if you know it's coming, right? you know, and then there's also grief when you, when it's fine, final, you know? Yeah. Is part of the grief process question your own mortality? Of course. It's like a mirroring effect. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think, and again, I think some people do that and some people don't. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong, right? Well, I think that that's part of it is it's grief expectations and Mm -hmm. everybody's different. And I think sometimes it's hard when you're watching someone grieving and it's not the way you would do it. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, I can't believe they've mm-hmm. moved on or I can't believe mm-hmm. they're not sad about this or how could they possibly fill in the blank? Yeah. But it's, again, that person's journey and it, it's grief is very specific to not just each person, but I think even each circumstance yes. because you can grieve completely different because you yourself could be on a different uh, part of your life or part of your journey when you get something that you need to grieve and you're just, you're growing as a person and you might accept it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think it is hard to manage your own expectations of it, but then again, to try to manage someone else's, you know, grief or even try to check the boxes that they hoping that you check off for them. It's like, dude, let me just do this how I feel like I need to do it. Yes. And you can, you know, if you're, you have a friend who's going through this, you can, you can just say, if you need anything, I'm happy to help you in any way you need, right? Instead of putting prescribing to them like, oh, well, you're definitely going to need this or you're definitely going to need that because, you know. And you don't know. They, yeah. yeah, you don't know. And honestly, they're not going to know. And they might not be someone who wants to ask for help or, you know. And so I think it's a tricky process too, mm-hmm. you know. I think yeah. that it, you have to give them their own space. I, I took it personally. My mom lost her sister almost a year ago, mm-hmm. um, very sudden. And it's, it's been a lot on her. She, I find sometimes I'm talking on the phone and it will be, you know, that, that wave will hit. Mm-hmm. It'll be kind of sudden. Mm-hmm. And she'll immediately want to get off the phone. And mm-hmm. I used to take that personally. Like, she should address these feelings. She needs to, she needs to come clean with it. She needs to take it on. I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Like, right. That is the way that she, at that moment, took the wave. Yes. And maybe she is dealing with it, but she just didn't want me there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I saw that. I was like, so I took it personal. But right. then I, I was like, take a step back. And mm-hmm. it's not about me. Yes. And how I would see it. Right. Or how I would do it. Right. And I know with me, when I was grieving my dad, you know, I went out to help my mom after he'd passed and came back and like, you know, it was summertime now. And so it was like pool time and everybody wants to hang out and everybody's having their parties and all this stuff. And I just was like, I don't want to hang out with anyone. I just need a lot of alone time. Mm. I'm not really in the mood to be not happy, but just like, I don't want to be, I don't know. I just want to be where I'm at, you know? And, um, that was a while. I mean, that was probably at least a good six months, if not longer that it was, I didn't want to go to holiday parties, you know, like he passed in May and come Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like I just didn't want to do any extraneous stuff, you know, like I just wanted to kind of be in this, you know, I don't even think I was consciously thinking like, this is my first Christmas and my, you know, dad's died. I wasn't kind of thinking that it was just sort of taking my own like grief temperature, you know, and seeing where I was at and what I was needing and not worrying about what other people needed of me. Yeah. You know, like even my kids, you know, we were very open with them about um, his passing, very honest and allowed them to have their grief journey too. And, you know, there'd be moments where I would be tearing up for no reason. And, you know, the kids would see and they'd say, what's up? What's going on? And I was just like, oh, I'm just sad about grandpa. And then they would be sad too. And they might tear up as well, but they'd put an arm around me and they'd say, I'm really sad, you know, that you lost your dad, you know, because I think then that makes them think about what would happen if they lost their dad. Mm -hmm. Right. They weren't, I mean, they were connected with my dad, but you know, they had their own different relationship. It was like that removed. Um, and, 
Um, but they would, if I want to say, I want to remember, like we have my dad's old Birkenstocks. He was a big Birkenstock guy. So I have, that's the only thing I wanted (laughs) of all of his stuff. I wanted his old Birkenstocks. And so they're at our front door, like at this little bench at our front door, just sort of like as As a a reminder. And so I'll, I see him every single day, multiple times a day. And so I'll just, it'll remind me and I'll say, you know, you know, we'll be telling jokes or something. And I'll be like, you know, grandpa loved to tell jokes. Here was one that he would say. And it makes me happy to do that, but it will sometimes make the kids sad. You know, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry you lost your dad, you know. But I think it's okay to experience all of that, you know. And, I, and I'll and i just say, well, I'm not sad right now. I'm just really happy remembering Grandpa, yeah. you know, and kind of mm-hmm. teaching them, um, you know, that it's okay to remember the person and sort right. of keep him a part of our lives exactly. even if he's not here. We lost uh, Dan's dad um, three years ago, and then two weeks later my sister-in-law, my brother's wife. And it was a very hard time. And I mean, the kids were pretty young, you know, at the time. So it, it hit hard yeah. for everybody, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but we built a grandpa garden mm. and, uh, just a couple of weeks ago was his birthday. And so we went out and we sang happy birthday and, um, you know, and it's, it's nice because it gives a place for my kids to go and like physically touch some mm-hmm. things or like they really feel, mm-hmm. you know, like there's birds that land there and like, mm-hmm. that's grandpa, but that's mm-hmm. Antina, you know, there's butterflies that come in and it was nice because we had friends that gave us trees to plant mm-hmm. in there. And I know Brittany gave us like a little butterfly, mm. um, I, I call it like a butterfly bathtub cause like it's, you fill it I up it, and I they think it's what it is. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but it's really nice to have a place for them to go and like, just visit yeah. when they feel like they need to. For sure. And, you know, I, I even asked Dan on his dad's birthday. I'm like, how are you doing today? He's like, it's still hard. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, I don't think it'll ever not be hard. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think you ever just cut off love and think that it's going to, you know, no. grow back or heal differently. But I remember seeing something um, during that time that it was like, grief is a lot like getting, you know, a, a limp in your leg and like, you got to learn how to like keep on Mm -hmm. walking and Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you're going to get out there on the dance floor and you're going to be limping. He's Mm -hmm. like, but I'm going to have a little more swagger Mm -hmm. in it, you know, but you still learn how to cope and you still learn how to walk and you still learn how to keep moving. Yes. Even though it's going to look different than what it did before. Right. That was, I was like, man, that's really comforting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do the seven stages of grief really exist? Well, so, you know, I think, um, Elizabeth Cooper Ross's was like the five stages. And what I, I've read a lot of, oh, her it was st- five stages. I, <laughs> no, I read a lot of her stuff and what I, and then when I went to this thing that David Kessler um, talked about was that that was originally for the person dying. That was <gasps> their stages of grief oh. of coming in terms with their own death, which I thought was interesting. Cause yeah. I don't think I ever picked up on that or somehow okay. that, you know, Cause you're thinking of your own stages. And so, I mean, I think it's applicable obviously to mm-hmm. the people left behind. Um, so maybe, I, yes. And I don't think there's stages of like step one and then you graduate into step two and you'll never experience step one again from what I've been told or, you know, studied it sort of, they're all happening sort of all the time. So it's not like stages where you're going to graduate, but more just, you're going to feel these feelings Sometimes you're going to be in denial about the fact that they're gone. Sometimes you're going to accept it. Sometimes you're, you know, all the different things. Um, But from what I know about the stages of grief, that was originally for the person dying um, and coming to terms. So I think they may go through stages, right? Like Mm -hmm. where first they're going to deny it. Like, no way. I feel okay. okay," Or whatever their thing is, you know, and bargaining and they're going to do their thing, you know, like different things. Um, So it makes sense. Those stages were more for the person dying. I didn't realize that. I didn't either, mm-hmm. but that's I thought it was for all of us. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all do. I mean, I thought it too up until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Look at that. Yeah. Learning more things. Yeah. With Miss Megan. So going back to like mindset too, mm-hmm. um, sometimes we can get caught up in the positivity mm-hmm. mindset. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. kind of speak to that? Well, we were talking earlier about the idea of this toxic positivity of like everything has to be okay all the time, you know, and I think that there's not value in that, right? Like that's not real for us to always be positive all the time. Like we are living, breathing human beings. And so we're going to have our moods are going to fluctuate given different circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, however your body is feeling, if you're hangry, 
right? Or your, you know, your blood sugar's dropped or whatever the thing is, that's going to cause something. If you heard a song on the radio that reminds you of your, you know, loved one who's passed, like, um, that's gonna, um, cause a mood, you know, and there's not, it's not like we're saying, oh, you're going to be moody, right? Because there's a negativity with that. It's just your moods are going to shift and change because they're shifting and changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like we're not even keel all the time. I mean, I do think, you know, I've seen and read and experienced myself, you know, practicing mindfulness and meditation really helps sometimes with those moods because you're paying attention and you're aware of them instead of it like it's catching it catches you off guard like if it does catch you off guard you're, you can like sit with it for a moment and just observe it and notice it and not judge it or assign it or try to move beyond it you can just be with it mm-hmm. and then be like okay well yep here I'm feeling this you know can I give this some time to be here with it or do I need to get back to work or do I need to do this thing you know so you can notice it and kind of make it work for you too versus thinking you always have to be positive and I think I think sometimes that's probably more for other people right like when we're trying to manage other people's emotions Mm -hmm. right which is not our responsibility right right? like if we practice good boundaries (laughs) Mm -hmm. right like we're our job is to just manage our own Mm -hmm. right we don't have to manage our kids uh, emotions we don't have to manage our family you know extended family's emotions uh our friends emotions like you get to be wherever you're at right now and you can own it right like hey guys i gotta cancel lunch today i just i'm just not feeling it you know and hopefully they're gonna understand and they're gonna be good friends and be like oh my gosh of course you know Mm -hmm. or they're not gonna understand and that's gonna give you more information Mm -hmm. and then you'll you know have to just adjust adjust yeah Yeah. because you you know at the end of the day i always say you're the one looking yourself in the mirror every day right like Mm -hmm. you're the one who's living your life so you have to be okay with what you're doing and where you're coming from Right. And it's everybody else's emotions to kind of, you know, of everybody else's responsibility to manage their own emotions. And so we were talking too about the idea of like previous generations, like perhaps our parents' generation didn't know how to manage their emotions as well as we do now because we, you know, now we have the whole self-help book industry and we have all the, you know, Oprah shows and the everything saying, you know. You, we have a lot more access to information yeah. than what our parents, of course, A, were able to obtain to, but also allowed right. to experience. Yeah, because if you think about, you know, our parents' parents and how they parented our parents, right? Yeah. They, they were pr- coming from the Depression era. And so they probably right. were like, Chin up, chin up. It's been worse. Exactly. (laughs) So we don't have time to worry about our emotions. We got to like find food, you know? And so I think it's not about finding fault at all in like, oh, our parents didn't do X, Y, and Z. It's just now knowing, you know, oh, we do have all this. We have more information. We have more resources, you know, seeking therapy or talking about your feelings is not so taboo anymore, you know? So, um, yeah, I think there's yeah, some really good things happening in that regard. Absolutely. But we always talk about like you've only been alive during this time right now. Right. Right. Like yeah, unless you have been cloned, which I don't think you have. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe Shannon and I have, I don't know. <laughs> yes. But you've only been alive this time once. Right. So you're trying right. to figure it out right now. Totally. Right. There's a great <laughs> Bob Schneider song. He's a musician from Austin, Texas who is one of my favorites and he it's making it up. We're making this all up as we go. For sure. Yes. We're all making it up. <laughs> We're making this all up, right? And so, like, on we've never done this. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, like, so I think if we have some grace and ease with ourselves and then the people around us as well, right, that we've never done this before. We're making it all up. So let's yeah. just, you know. <laughs> that's. I say that to my husband all the time and he's like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, we became parents the exact same time on the exact same day. Mm-hmm. I don't know any more than you know, mm-hmm. unless I'm Googling something or mm-hmm. asking about, but I'm like, I don't know either. Exactly. I have my gut and yeah. I have Google. <laughs> right. And that's it. That's yes. it. <laughs> I mean, and it's true. Yeah. And speaking about kids, like, I know that you probably see some grief mm-hmm. within children. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some, because it's going to be different for them too. Mm-hmm. How does it show up? How do we help or, 
or try our best to help during those situations. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yes, I don't necessarily work, you know, with kids in therapy, but I think that if we can, one, as parents would take care of ourselves, right? Like, and we're getting our own therapy possibly, or we're talking about our feelings and there's an openness. I think I like to think of this as like the emotional tone of the family or the household, right? Mm, If there's an emotional tone of openness that we can talk about this, we're not going to be shaming. We're not going to be whatever. Likely though, people don't really want to talk about it, right? They're going to feel their feelings. And so, but I think there's an idea of like, if you can teach your kids to own I'm just feeling sad or I'm just missing grandpa or I'm just whatever and just say, okay, great. You know, I'll let you have your space because I think when we get too emotional or we're over functioning of like, well, what do you need? What can I do? What can I, and you're asking all the questions. Like sometimes questions are not so great when it comes to parenting. If you know, like you can overwhelm your kiddos with questions. If you Mm -hmm. think back to when you were a teenager and your parents might've asked you all the questions and you were like, I don't want to answer all this, you know, like you felt invaded. It felt like, you know, so I think even young kids will feel that as well. You know, Mm -hmm. I do think just, um, you can check in with the kids and just make sure they're, you know, how are they doing? You know, like I asked my kids, you know, do you think about grandpa? And you know, they don't really, you know, I mean, unless we're talking about it or, um, something, you know, brings it up. So I think again, allowing them to have their own grief experience with it, which is going to look probably very different than yours, depending on who passed away, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, you know, and they might have grief of moving schools or, you know, their friend moving away. And so they're not around anymore. And so just kind of checking in to see what they're needing, if they're needing to, FaceTime or Skype with that friend or drive by the old school and just see it or something or not, you know, Mm -hmm. like sometimes there can be, it's okay to kind of graduate into the next thing, the next school or the, you know, some new friends. It's not that you might forget the old friends, but you might take what you liked about those friends and look for those qualities in the next friends. You know, because sometimes the kids, I think they will look back, but they just don't know they'll look back. Yeah. We've got, um, one of my daughters has two really good friends that have moved away during, uh, one used to live in the neighborhood, which was so nice because she could just ride Mm -hmm. her bike to her house. And I was like, oh, neighborhood friends. It's so cute. And then she moved. Um, so we let her use Marco Polo and use Mm -hmm. that app to, you know, talk back and forth and it's really cute. Mm -hmm. And then we have another good friend that moved, uh, during the school year this year and you know they were really really close and you know she gets to facetime her mm-hmm. like when she and i'm like this this is so helpful mm-hmm. I mean, technology does help technology yeah. does help you know in that setting but it's also they don't have to stop their friendship exactly. because they moved exactly. it's just like oh if we're ever you know in this city we would love to get together mm-hmm. you know and let you guys hang out and see each other but mm-hmm. you know it, it, but it is i mean they do grieve friendships For when sure. they lose and especially you know at that young age when it feels like it's you know you're like yes, I found my person. This is so mm-hmm. much fun. And then all of a sudden they have to go and they're like, bummer. Remember mm-hmm. back in the day, like friends, well, yeah. they still are, but friends are everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are everything. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's common, you know, kids, uh, once six and under kids are very affect oriented and you notice they're like much more about mom and dad and the family and inside the family. And then they hit about seven and now, you know, they're externally focused so that's like a developmental stage for kids too is that they start to be more and more and more about their friends which Mm -hmm. sometimes for parents that's you grieve the loss of your kids not needing you so much too Mm -hmm. right but that's a normal development and how you back off and allow them to have those relationships and to teach them independence as well because mm-hmm. at the end of the day you know you want your kid to move away at yes. some point I don't know. live in my basement yes. they say that all the time but although one of them she's really cute she's like we can live next door but we're gonna have cats and i'm allergic <laughs> to cats and i'm like oh i see what you did there i see exactly what you're doing and i'm like I like your playbook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really no, do. Full on, one yeah. of mine will live in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, I have a feeling mm-hmm. I know which one, but yeah. one will definitely be down there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the more, you know, you can give them <laughs> the independence and all that dirty. stuff is, right. you know, helpful versus because that you don't want them managing your emotions because if they know 
mom needs me to be around here because she's so attached. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or just attached to Mm -hmm. momming, you know, Mm -hmm. like for, for women who find a lot of value in their mothering or their parenting, right. That can also be some pressure on the kids too. I mean, I know that might not be the most popular comment making there, but it's something to think about. Sit with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, it's not our kid's job to take care of us, right? Right. Like it's Mm -hmm. our job emotionally, right? It's our job to help them and teach them how to best take care of themselves emotionally because we also, you know, what are we setting them up for then? If we're, if we're setting them up for needing to take care of us emotionally, then that could set them up for taking care of their partners emotionally, right? Right. Not that there's not an interdependence when you're partnered, but we are parents are our kids first intimate partners right so we really want to do a good job of creating that independence so that when they do get into the relationship with a partner person when they're an adult there is an interdependence and not a codependence right or a really strong independence or you know different people need different things but um so i think how we parent really you know, m- models for them. Yeah. Different you, things. I think you said it last time you were here that parents are like the original influencers. Mm-hmm. Like, Ooh, that's so true. <laughs> we are. Yeah. That's so true. We have a lot yeah. of power. Totally. Yeah. We do. Well, and they trust and us and they believe us and mm-hmm. they right. don't think we're going to, you know, let them down or lie to them. So right. why wouldn't they believe what we say? Well, and I think that's a piece about checking in with ourselves and the, um, you know, that feeling of, you know, why am I feeling the need to do this? Am I doing it because um, I need to know that I'm doing this at, at being a good mom or I'm doing this because my kid really needs me to do this? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what's your motivation? Those are hard questions. Uh-huh. Yeah. Totally. I think it could be conflicting. It Absolutely. could. Yeah. Like yeah. you could believe one thing, but if you really ask you the questions or going through the emotions, then you, you might have find mm-hmm. the other answer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know for sure I have. Right. I'm like, oh, this is just me being right. vain in my mothering. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you might see like, why am I doing that? Am I doing that because I'm worried about what other people are going to say or think if they right. see me doing this or what, you know, like mm-hmm. I need to, I need other people to know I'm doing this well or I'm on it or I'm doing all these things you know or you know you can <laughs> do it like I do it and you can own the fact of like you know what there's gonna be a lot of stuff I don't do you know because right. I want my kid to do those things and I want them to have a little bit of struggle because I want them to have to figure those things out so mm-hmm. that I'm not the helicopter person you right. know trying to micromanage yeah. and yeah. we, we kind of talked about this a little bit um, but it's also like the parenting where they're like, no, I, I'm, you know, the, my, we're on the path for the kid, but you've manicured the path so incredibly well that there is no obstacle in front of them. Like you've aligned the path with all the right choices. So no matter what choice they make, mm-hmm. even though it's their own choice, mm-hmm. they don't have an option to make a bad mm-hmm. choice. No, there's no potholes. There's no 75 no pod- degrees. Right. Exactly. Right. And you, I'm like, yeah, I know. San Diego kid. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, you know, yes, you want your kids to make mistakes when they're under 18 Oh, when yes. they're not a legal adult, you want them to have to struggle and make those mistakes so that they can learn how to function mm-hmm. when they're an adult and they're making those mistakes. Right. Right. So if everything is smooth sailing, you know, once they go off to college or they go into the work field, they're going to expect that everything's going to be smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I know we kind of got off the grief topic. No, that's. <laughs> wait, wait, it, I think it does apply. Yeah, it does. Yes, yeah, it does apply. You, like you grieve your parenting all the time. <laughs> yes, it's true. very true. <laughs> true. Oh, that's honest. Yeah. Yes. It does. You're like I grieve. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm, lots, mm-hmm. lots of time. Lots yeah, of time. So I do want to kind of talk about. Um, so we talked about smaller kids, but also, mm-hmm. like maybe even like teenagers, mm-hmm. like because those are some big time emotions. Yeah. Because you're you are or you probably have formed your own independence. Mm-hmm. And then you're forced to kind of take on like a Mack truck of mm-hmm. grief mm-hmm. or acceptance or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Is there some tangible tips we can have towards even the teenager yeah. type grief? I mean, I think just helping them figure out whatever the best way for them to um, process that grief. So journaling, right? There's a thought that journaling has the same effect of an antidepressant. 
Oh, mm-hmm. because it, it it's getting it out. It's, you know, having something, if you will, to talk to, whether you're typing it or you're writing out, you know, your journal. Uh, or sometimes I even audio record. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be in the car and I'm having a stream of consciousness thought and I'm just, I don't know. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just yeah. record it. I don't ever go back usually and listen to it, but it's sort of that journaling so it's going to, you can do different things. But um, I think also, you know, teens are tricky because of all the hormonal things going on as well. And there can be this thought that they um, kind of almost revert back to their toddler years when it comes to that emotional state of tantrumy and, you know, having big feelings and going through big growth spurts, if you will, right? As toddlers do physically, mentally, emotionally, just as teenagers are doing as well so I think allowing them they're going to explode they're going to do their thing you know we've talked earlier uh, about like the idea of focusing on the positives Mm. don't focus on the negatives yeah they might explode and they might say something and that might sting for you for the moment but just maybe let it settle and see where it goes because they might come back 15 minutes later and say, I'm really sorry I did that. Like, you know, because they're feeling their feelings too. So if we jump on them the minute they're like, stop doing that to me, you know, and you know, we're like, don't talk to me like that. You know, like, again, we have to model the behavior we want to see in them. Um, And I think, I just think owning your own emotions, you know, talking when you are feeling sad or if you do tear up or whatever um, that you, yeah. model for them it's I feel like it's so tricky because like how do you encourage a teen to lean into their emotions mm-hmm. I mean I'm, journaling you said is obviously something that is tangible but I mean I feel like that's where the fear factor for me as a parent lies of like that's where I'm afraid like my kids will you know dabble in drugs or try to you know cope or numb like yeah. a feeling or an emotion so how do you kind of help them on that path. Right. I mean, honestly, I just think it's talking about it, right? Like our kids now, you know, first grade, my first grader and a fourth grader, they're already talking about like smoking and they're talking about all these things, you know, well, these things are bad and oh my gosh, that person's smoking. So the, the opportunity to kind of lay some groundwork is already there where they're in, you know, and I'll say to them, yeah, some, some, adults or kids or whoever, you know, teens are going to do things that are probably not good for them, you know? And so, you know, but you're going to want to make good choices for you, Mm -hmm. you know, and be aware of those things. So, you know, if, and you may say like, if something big happens and your kid's feeling a certain way, or you might say like, you know, I hope that you're not going to try drugs or you're not gonna you know do this thing and you know they might experiment a little bit with that and that's very normal um but I think just talking about and I wouldn't even say it as your own fears because again you don't want to put those fears on Mm -hmm. to them and just say you know if you if you want to see a therapist if you want to you know if you think you need something else different than what's happening right now like I I need to you to let me know I don't want to keep being up in your business, but you know, you may want to check in with your kiddo periodically. Um, but I just think it's being really forthcoming with some of that, you know, and just say some people turn to drugs, some people turn to drinking too much, you know, and they're going to try to numb that whatever. And that's just not healthy. and It's not going to be productive for you. It might work, you know, right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not going to work long-term. So you know, I'm happy to help you find out what will work for you. But I also think that means for the parent to have pretty good control of their own emotional state and they're not numbing or running from their emotions or hiding or putting their um, head in the sand or doing whatever, you know. Um, So it's tricky. And I, I think, you know, I mean, we don't know how to do any of this stuff until we get into the moment and we're just like oh shit like what do I do or right asking a friend like what do I do with this or what would your suggestion be or um you know if you do have to go see a therapist I mean it might not be something you're going to be in therapy in for like your the rest of your life it might mm-hmm. just be a couple sessions you need to kind of get back on track or you need some tools in your toolbox to deal with this moment right now so I don't think it has to be you know something yeah that we don't, we can't talk about, you know, Mm -hmm. and ask people for help. I sometimes think that, yeah, just as tools, but also just having 
a person who's removed from the situation mm-hmm. being able to just let me be. Sure. Yeah. Because you you don't really know the inner workings of me, so it's comforting for right. me. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's everybody else. Right. But that's just how I approach it. And yeah. I find that um, walking out of those sessions, I feel that that tool alone is great in my toolbox. Mm-hmm. Having somebody that is yeah. removed. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, I think especially with teens or kids in general, <laughs> I was thinking about this. My kiddo has been sick and so he's been in his room, you know, we've kind of sequestered him to his room. And he came down the other day and he was just bawling and he was like, I'm so lonely, Aww, you know, because he's not me. hanging out with yeah. his friends. He's not on. He can't even be with his family. He was like, <laughs> so lonely. And I was just like, of course you are, you know, yeah, of course man. you are. So I think just, you know, being present, like in the same space, but not necessarily having to talk about anything yeah. like, you know, so my husband and I took turns all weekend, like just laying up with him and you know watching youtube videos or yeah you know just he'd sleep and you know we would just lay there and you know be on our phone or whatever you know right. just kind of being present you know and not ha- and i thought about it as as i was laying there and i was thinking you know i i want to ask him all these questions i want to see if, how is he feeling how is he mm-hmm. doing but again back to all those questions right you know you're sick and you're not feeling well you don't want all those questions so i was talk. like yeah. yeah i'm like no, this is me managing my anxiety right now. I need to not ask him those questions. I need to right. just be here and be present. Mm-hmm. So I think just, you know, if you can practice that, especially with your teens, I would imagine they want to know that they have you there as their safety net, but they don't necessarily need you to fix anything. They don't need you to right. manage anything. You know, they're just, they're making it all up as they go too. Well, you don't interact with your safety net until you need it. Exactly. You know, you're mm-hmm. not jumping on it. Yep, but you know it. it's there. Did you know it's there? You might like see it and you might mm-hmm. like feel it there, bounce on it a little bit when, from time to time, but right. you don't like fall into it necessarily until you really, really need it. Right. Yeah. But you usually know it's there. Exactly. Right. Wow. I know. I think that's so comforting too, because there's so many things that go on to be with a teenager. I can remember back when I was that age and. I just went recluse Mm -hmm. and I think that I still revert back to that. I just Mm -hmm. draw up. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't draw shame in that anymore, Mm -hmm. but I think that that was definitely a sign of me not being able to approach my emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully I can take that tool with me with my parenting moving forward. Yeah. And some of that could be perhaps, you know, if, if talking about emotions is not an acceptable thing in the household, right you the kiddos might not know how to talk about it or what Mm -hmm. to do with that right like I joke that my kids will be in therapy because they had a mother as a therapist right right. for sure (laughs) because like and I remember my kids and they're gonna tell the therapist like what like no no, yeah yeah and I remember my kids in preschool you know the preschool teachers would say like your kids are really good at expressing their emotions like they know exactly what they're feeling and I was just like isn't that wonderful though but they're probably you know it's hard for them sometimes because not other not a lot of other kids can do that and so you know sometimes they don't fit in because of that right so am I creating this kid who doesn't fit in you know hopefully their partner to be will thank me one day but you know I don't know um so it's it's a tricky thing to have the kids who can you know like uh, what my daughter recently said mom you're last night she goes you're really grumpy and I was like oh, well, it is bedtime and I'm tired. And I was just thinking in the moment, she goes, no, you've been grumpy for the last two weeks. And I was like, whoa, okay. And she just <laughs> called me out on it. And well? she's like, I was like, well, how am I normally? And she kind of imitated me, right? Like, and I was just like, oh, okay. And I just was like, thank you for that feedback. I noted, <laughs> noted. I will do my best to, you know, right. but I'm not going to be positive all the time. I'm not right. going to be, yeah. you know, cheerleading all mm-hmm. the time or whatever the thing is so but they notice yeah and she she said it which i think is wonderful because i know yes. i probably wouldn't have said that in my family right oh, oh hell, hell no, no. <laughs> uh-uh. nope i maybe I like wrote a note and slid it out of the door like right away real quick but like, <laughs> right. I, I definitely would not right. go up, lock your door you and like, put atlantis no. horse that on yeah right. that's what you did <laughs> 
Yeah. And yeah. so think about like teens who are coming up on graduation who might be mourning the loss of losing their friends or the safety net of home, or maybe they're excited about going off, but maybe you have a kid who's graduating from college and they're mourning. I remember for me, I, I loved school so much that I couldn't imagine what life was going to be like functioning, not in a school setting, mm -hmm. like graduating from college. Cause I, you know, I thrive here, right? Yeah. I thrive here. I get grades. I know the classes I have to take, you know, here's what the expectations, like right. everything was everything so laid, out. Yeah. laid out. And so I was like panicking, thinking about now I have to create this whole new life, you know, that I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know. There were so many unknowns that it was so anxiety producing for me that it took me a minute to kind of figure out how to really start to function as an adult yeah mm -hmm. it's hard when you have to create your own sense of like guidelines and scheduling when mm -hmm. for i don't know the entire existence mm -hmm. you've known of mm -hmm. life up to that point has been laid school. out for you yeah mm -hmm. it's been school it's been mm -hmm. i mean but it, and even down to like the minute of the day of like how it's all gonna work out exactly and then when you're just like thrown into the world and you're like ah wait a minute mm -hmm. this is very tricky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God. I loved it. Oh. <laughs> I did. I, my type B was shining bright. Oh. I was like, I get to do what I want. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I never mm -hmm. felt that anxiety, but I guess I'm just a little bit different. And yeah. I was like, the world is mine mm -hmm. and I'm going to go serve some steaks. <laughs> <laughs> Out back. Yeah. Hey, I was right there with you. I know, right? I love mm -hmm. Outback. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but I, mean, yeah. I, I just thought about it differently. But mm -hmm. again, everyone's yeah. gonna approach yes right. i probably should have been crying in my cheerios a little bit more but Doesn't i didn't no. but but you know <laughs> no shoulds I, right. yeah don't yeah. shoot all over yourself yeah. right exactly <laughs> exactly yeah uh, so just a little pivot yeah uh yesterday was international women's day mm -hmm. and it was a great day we had a fun event with our friends at lululemon it mm -hmm. was so fun and one of the things that we asked the panel of women was growing up did you have a favorite female character? Mm. It could be from a TV show, from a book, from a movie, but mm -hmm. was there like an empowerment or just even just a female character that you looked up to and you're like, I get that. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Did we want to guess what hers oh, is? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Ooh. Guess what? Like, okay, I kind okay. of feel like, I mean, this <laughs> right. is like the fifth time you're here, so let's try to <laughs> okay, see. Okay, okay, how old are you? 40, I'll be 43 here in a month. Okay. At this okay. point, so she's, mm -hmm. she's closer to, to my end of yeah mm -hmm. things. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of three in particular. So there's three characters. Okay. Okay. Hold on. So maybe you'll. I kind of feel like Jesse Spano from <laughs> Saved by the Bell. <laughs> totally. That's not what I thought. Oh my gosh. That's, that's a yes. good one. Yes. Yeah, 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 you kind of remind totally. me of Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tall. She had it all to put oh together. Yeah, no, I yeah. can't top that one. Yeah. I'm bringing it. Oh mm -hmm. my God. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. I mean, what's wrong with Murphy Brown? Like you said yesterday, I Murphy love Murphy Brown. Brown. I know yeah, she was my badass. Girl. I loved her. That's a good one. She was great. Um, uh, what was the uh, the really smart girl on Facts of Life? Oh yeah, Blair. Blair was smart, but she was kind of she was a little Joe? ditzy too. No, Joe was like the motorcycle girl. Tootie was Tootie on the roller skates. Shoot, it'll come to me. But I guess that's not it because yes. you're like, no, that's not her. Yeah, okay. um, Blossom. Ooh, a little bit maybe. Little bit, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I just yeah. got really excited about yeah. Blossom. <laughs> <laughs> that show was awesome. That show was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The characters that came to my mind uh -huh. that are the actual historical figures. Oh, okay. you know, we went TV. Uh, we went you straight went down the TV show. We were <laughs> but I do have a character. The, um, Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, Amelia Earhart were like the two that I did every book report on or every yes. school project on because I just like was so interested uh do you have any fun facts women. about those two that you remember from your childhood not really i mean they just seem like strong women who were doing things in a time that were not uh common for women to do and mm -hmm. i like that sort of you know thinking outside the box yeah. uh, my daughter recently brought home a book about franklin delano roosevelt and of course eleanor eleanor was featured in there very prominently mm -hmm. and you know, she had her very much for women's voting and, you know, I liked, I like all that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and Amelia Earhart, like doing something that women weren't doing by flying planes, you right. know, doing all that stuff. Of course that was near and dear to my heart, but the characters, well, the actress that I really liked was Molly Ringwald. 
that's so, a good one. You know, I mean, from yes. all the John Hughes movies, because yes. my favorite was Pretty Pretty in Pink. You great know, movie. she's making her own dress and so thinking great. outside the box. But right. I also love Sixteen Candles and um, what's the Breakfast school Club? Breakfast Club? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, those all are great, great movies. Yeah. Yes, so all good. Mm-hmm. Oh, and too, like she like she was like it's the grain too, like mm-hmm. her look and mm-hmm. everything, and she mm-hmm. became super popular. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and she, was, I mean, I loved the characters that were written for her, just mm-hmm. because she mm-hmm. she nailed it. But like yeah. they weren't the traditional, yeah, what you would think stereotypical right. characters were, and you're like, I care. And they were all a little different, if yeah. you think about it. Uh-huh. You know, Very like different. her Sixteen Candles character versus her Pretty in Pink and the Breakfast Club were all they're, yeah, they're very yeah. different. And so, do you ever think about those movies? How they go over today? There with, were so many things that are so wrong with those oh, movies, yeah. and it <laughs> makes me like, oh, it is cringeworthy. When you, yeah, you're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. date rape. we were. <laughs> we, we supported this movie. Like, oh, we were like, uh-huh. oh no, that's terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Don't do or, that. Or like, okay, we're tone deaf. Got right. It. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It was really funny. We were watching a show not too long ago, and I can't remember which one it was. It was like a couple days ago, and it was Full House, and they were talking about being drunk, right? Ooh. No, no, it was um. It was just yesterday. It was a. Uh, oh. I, I don't know. Was it with you yesterday? I mean, <laughs> no. Uh, he's just not that into you. It was on Netflix, oh. and there was a part in the movie that Landon said, "I know this is only ten years old, but there is no way that would be even remotely put out today mm-hmm. like that." Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, "You're right, because mm-hmm. it's tone deaf." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was. It, he's like, "That's a little." He goes, "That makes me uncomfortable," and I was like, mm-hmm. "Hey, yeah. you woke, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was like, yeah, right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So it makes me, mind. it just makes me kind of mm-hmm. think about those movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, and if we do watch it, we're like, okay. okay. Yeah. I had to, cause <laughs> I loved uh, Troop Beverly Hills. Oh yeah. Love that. And the girls, I introduced that to uh-huh. them and watching it with them. I was like, Ooh. I should have got at this. Yeah. I, I mean, uh-huh. I didn't remember there being so many cuss words oh, in it. Yeah. Now they hear that from me, so I'm like, I'm a little lenient when it comes to language. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. But even some of the situations, I was like, oh, I mean, if they ask, I'll do it. But I'm like, are they even picking up on this, or am I seeing something? You know, I'm seeing what it is, but like, can they see like the undertones of like right. what's going on? So yeah, um, there was a lot of smoking in that. And Eleanor was oh, like, yeah. why are they doing that? It's such a bad decision. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I agree, but mm-hmm. you know, some people so that's times just too. what they do. Yeah, right? and, like, and that's oh. where that's a good. I mean, any of those movies, because of course we've done the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're like so excited to introduce them to a movie, and then yes. we're watching it. We're like, like oh, oh god, I'm horrified by this. But we're like. Oh. But it's a good learning lesson, too, to yeah. say, you know, um, yeah, here's things we didn't know or we weren't talking about back then that we are talking about now. Or yeah. we have much more, a lot more information about smoking now. And we're, tr- you know, we don't, we're starting much younger trying to get kids to make sure they don't smoke, you know. And right. um, so, you know, just using it as a teaching tool, yeah. too. And, of course, we're more lenient with language in our house, too. And so knowing like okay this has language and we're trusting right. you're not gonna use it and they're like oh, you know of course you know seven-year-old yeah. daughter's like oh mom like i would never do that I'm you like, know i don't choose those <laughs> words mom it's not for me, so. right. i'm like <laughs> oh my god my middle child's like the, the one out in the yard <laughs> just being like <laughs> i'm like oh my god is there a sailor out there jeez <laughs> but also think back those movies we didn't have um pg-13 it just went PG really? to R. Yeah, we looked it up. Yeah. Because I thought, I was like, well, how is Goonies not PG-13? Because there's, there's some uh, heavy shit I know. There. We've yeah. waited to show Goonies yeah. even. Yeah. And there, so I was like, well, how is this P- PG? And then we looked it up. Like, oh, there was no oh, PG-13 wow. when we were kids. That, that came around in the 90s? or I, have, I don't know. I just know all the 80s movies. It, yeah. Everything wow. was PG. Yeah. Right. So that it was because if it was yeah. R. Right. Which I still watched R movies, which I'm like, uh-huh. oh. <laughs> when you go back and you watch them, you're like. I should never have been allowed to see that. <laughs> but you know, pretty woman. we know better. We do better. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Was uh, that PG? I don't or was know. It R? Oh, uh, sure it has to be R. R. I still watched it though. I know, but I oh, remember yeah. seeing that movie in the theater with my mom and my grandma. Wow. I know. I, I, right. <laughs> I mean, but still, is that even? I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of this. Hand <laughs> <laughs> over the eyes, like. I could totally see your this mom. Should be like, a good time to go to the bathroom, Shannon. Go ahead. <laughs> we're just gonna, we're just gonna hide her. That was the conversation in the car. Yeah. Hide your eyes. <laughs> they got in the Buick. They're like, right. we can just hide her eyes. She'll be fine. And you're oh, like, yeah, yeah. popcorn. 
That's funny. Oh, uh, wonderful. Well, we, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. And for our friends who maybe this is their first time listening, yes. how would friends find you? Um, you can find me. Uh, well, I own Louisville Mindfulness Center. That's the therapy practice here in Louisville that I practice with. Um, or you can find me online, MeganBaylisBartley.com. You guys can put that in your notes or at MindfulMeganB on Instagram and Facebook and social media. And you, this is your fifth time here? I think I'm a, yeah. Yeah. Five Pete. Five Pete. Yeah. I know. We need to get you a plaque. I know. (laughs) I need like a YouTube, you know, you reached a million. Oh yeah. You need like a little badge. Yeah. (laughs) So if you want to deep dive on all the other, other episodes, I always do link them in on on Megan's because it's like the one thing I do, right? Yeah. It's people love them. They do. They're great. So we covered difficult people. um, Infidelity. Infidelity. Yes. Intimacy. Yep. My book, your book, your book sleeping yeah. with the, kids, yeah, yeah kids, which is a great one, yeah. yeah. And so, you yeah, know, just I, I'd be curious too for feedback on other episodes that they'd be curious yeah. to hear about too. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you guys get that all the time, but you know, I think we're getting there. I, I, we kind of throw topics up, and mm-hmm. sometimes if we get a response, we mm-hmm. think one response is usually like <laughs> we're like, we'll take it, <laughs> we'll take that. That means a hundred because yeah. you know these are tricky topics that right. we cover in the closet right and, yeah you know they might hit you a little hard and sure i so do that's hard yeah. to come forward I with them definitely think the intimacy one was definitely even now is still something people are talking about like she was saying a lot of great stuff i'm like yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah good. Yes. Mm-hmm. good so whenever good, you cut we, re- we release you there there's always there's always a surge deep oh, dive yeah. on what else you've talked yeah. about yeah. yeah well i the one thing i would love to come back and talk about is um self-compassion <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> mic drop there. We Both can't drop you. the mics because the guy at the mic store said, don't do that. It's bad for your mic, but we would like to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yes. He literally said that. Yeah. But maybe just looking at that from a little bit of a gentler, more Ooh. compassionate space as not being selfish, yes. right? Or self centered, but how it is actually so incredibly important for you just functioning as an adult, uh, as a parent, as a spouse, you know, on so many different levels. But that's kind of where my passion is right now is that self-compassion. Right. Well, yeah. in our next installment with CZL <laughs> Talks with Megan Bartley, <laughs> we'll be we're definitely going to visit that. Oh, I yeah. love that. I really do love yeah. that idea because I, I think I, we love to encourage any introspection and just mm-hmm. a journey into a more mindful way of living because absolutely, it does help mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah, it does. for sure. Awesome. Well, Megan, thank you so much. Yay. And thanks for friends, having me. We'll see you soon. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Help keep the CZL momentum going by rating our podcast and writing a review. If you love what you heard in today's episode, snap a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories. Don't forget to tag us.